Hi everyone. I want to welcome all of you today from wherever you happen to be watching. I really appreciate you being a part of our worship service. Well, I want to give you a heads up. This is not going to be a normal sermon. We're still looking at the book of Philippians. We're still focusing on this theme of indestructible joy. But I'm going to take a few minutes later on to share something big that's coming very soon at Plum Creek. It's something I'm praying about a lot. And I believe this next season will be a very important time in the life of our church. Before I get to that, though, I do want to jump back into Paul's letter to the Philippians. Over the past couple weeks, we've seen that Paul emphasizes this theme of joy over and over again. And when he talks about joy, he's not thinking of the extreme happiness that you only feel when something great happens. No, he's referring to a deep, unwavering gladness that only comes from God. Now, we're up to Philippians chapter 3. And right away, in verse 1, he goes straight back to talking about joy. Paul writes, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Now, let's remember, Paul writes this letter from a prison, probably in Rome, and he tells these old friends of his to rejoice, to celebrate, to be glad. And this is interesting because Paul is over 600 miles away. He has no cell phone, no internet. He has no idea what's happening back in Philippi at this particular moment. Things might be going really well for them, but they might be going through a lot of hardship or even persecution. But the truth is, it doesn't even matter. Paul encourages the Philippian church, church to rejoice no matter what situation they happen to be in. Paul knows that you can rejoice in the Lord through every season of life, good times, bad times, whatever. So where did Paul's unshakable joy come from? Well, back in chapter 1, we saw that Paul found joy in his relationship with these Christians in Philippi. They weren't just friends. They were brothers and sisters in Christ. Last week, in chapter 2, Paul found joy in the hope that the Philippian church would actually follow the example of Jesus by living in unity and by serving others in humility the way Jesus served us. But here in chapter 3, we're about to see the source of Paul's greatest joy. Paul's greatest joy was knowing Jesus. Now, if you know anything about Paul, you probably know that following Jesus was the driving force of his life. But in the next few verses, Paul talks about the significance of Jesus in a very surprising way. In fact, as soon as we get to verse 2, things get a little weird. Paul says, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Okay, is anyone confused here? Beware of evil dogs who mutilate flesh. What are you talking about, Paul? What in the world does that mean? Well, let's get some background here. Some Jews used the word dogs as a racial slur for Gentiles or non-Jews. Sort of like, if you're not Jewish, you're just a dog. But when Paul uses the word dogs here, he's not talking about Gentiles. He turns the tables. He's actually talking about a group of Jews, specifically Jewish extremists within the church. So how does that make sense? Well, we have to remember, all the early Christians were Jewish. 
But when Gentiles started to become followers of Jesus, some of those Jewish Christians got very uncomfortable. And the extremists said, okay, you Gentiles, we'll let you into the church, but to become a Christian, you also have to convert to Judaism. Now, the extremists expected these new Gentile believers to follow all the old Jewish rules and all the old rituals. That means you can't eat ham or sausage or bacon. That's pretty high price to pay, isn't it? Even worse, though, following the old rules means every male has to be circumcised. Now, circumcision is bad enough when you're a baby, but you, if you have to get circumcised as an adult, you are in a world of pain. So when these Gentiles heard this, especially the men, they were like, okay, we love Jesus, but I'm starting to think twice about this whole Christianity thing. But Paul's point here is that because of Jesus, those old ceremonial rituals are no longer a requirement because we don't, we don't achieve salvation by following the rules. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And that's why Paul refers to these extremists as dogs. That's why he refers to them as mutilators of the flesh. Again, that's about circumcision. But that brings up a question. What was the point of circumcision in the first place? Why was that ever tied to the Jewish religion? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign that the nation of Israel had a special relationship with God. The Jews were set apart as God's chosen people. But when Jesus came on the scene, he made it possible for everyone to have a special relationship with God. And at that point, circumcision was no longer necessary. Salvation comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. When you become a new creation in Christ, that's all the evidence you need to show that you have been set apart and chosen by God. And that background helps us understand what Paul says next in verse 3. Let's read that. Paul writes, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So what does Paul mean when he says, we are the circumcision? Well, he's talking about the church, right? Every follower of Jesus is fully and completely a part of God's family, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Your acceptance into this family is not based on the old religious rituals like circumcision. Those things don't make you any holier than anybody else. And then Paul says, oh, by the way, if any of you extremists want to compete with me to see who's the best Jew, I could wipe the floor with any of you. Listen to what he says next. Verse 4, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So in Paul's younger days, Back when he was called Saul, he was a rock star among the Jews. He was the kind of guy that every Jewish mother wanted her son to be when he grew up. He was circumcised as a baby. He was also part of the highly respected tribe of Benjamin. He was also highly educated and he became a Pharisee. 
You know, we often think of the Pharisees as the bad guys of the New Testament, but from a Jewish perspective at that time, the Pharisees were the best of the best. They obeyed the rules better than anybody else. And Paul said he was faultless in righteousness based on the law. And finally, when it came to defending the one true God and defending the Jewish way of life, there was no one more passionate than Paul. That's why he persecuted the church. He saw Christians as a threat to the Jewish faith. So Paul is like, go ahead, you extremist dogs. Put your resume next to mine. There's no way you could compete with me. But after all of that, Paul says something even more shocking. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So you see what Paul is doing here? He looks back on all the achievements of his past, everything that made him look good in the eyes of others, and he says, all of those things are worthless. Actually, he says more than that, doesn't he? He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. He's using financial terms here. He says, I used to put those accolades in the profit column, but now I've moved them over to the loss column. And that sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? I mean, Paul was very good at following all of the Old Testament laws and rituals. And is that not a noble goal? Well, he says, no way. I was confused back then. I thought my worth came from my achievements and my performance. But that kind of thinking will blind you to the fact that it doesn't matter what you accomplish. You are hopelessly lost until you find a new identity in Jesus Christ. So Paul says, what I used to think of as profit, I now think of as loss. But wait, there's more. Paul goes even further. Listen to this. He says, when I look back on my old successes, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Okay, I want to take a closer look at one word here, the word garbage. I was curious about this word, so I did a little research this week. The original Greek word here is the word skubalon. It's actually a fun word to say. Why don't you say it with me? If you're sitting next to someone, turn and look at them and say it out loud. Ready? One, two, three, skubalon. Congratulations, you just learned a Greek word. And you can use that to impress your friends. But you may want to be careful here. Uh, you may want to know what this word actually means. Now, I just read from the New International Version of the Bible, which translates skubalon into the English word garbage. Other translations use the word rubbish. However, if you go back to the old King James Version, the English word is dung. So I looked up the original meaning here and I found two possible definitions. The primary meaning is excrement, especially human excrement. So feces, number two. The secondary meaning is more like garbage, something you would just throw away. So which connotation is Paul using here? Is it more like rubbish or is it more like feces? Well, I found a New Testament professor who wrote an article on this and he says most likely 
A word like dung is the best translation of Paul's meaning. Now, some of you are saying, Doug, why are you spending any time on this? And I understand where you're coming from, but I promise there is a purpose here. You see, this is not just a question about whether or not Paul was being gross. He uses this word on purpose. He's saying, my life apart from Christ was not just worthless. It was repulsive, scubalon. And that should be a wake-up call for many of us. So many of us try to find meaning and worth and status based on what we do and what we accomplish. And so many of us pursue pleasure and comfort and superficial happiness. But Paul says there is only one way to find true meaning. There's only one way to find true joy. Remember, Paul's greatest joy was knowing Jesus. That was true for him, but it's also true for us. The only way you will find true joy is in knowing and experiencing Jesus. Not just knowing about Jesus, not just sprinkling a little church into your life as a side interest. Knowing Jesus is about letting go of everything else and putting Him first. Jesus said in Matthew 10:39, If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. So let's make this personal. What are you pursuing right now that distracts you or pulls you away from Jesus? Where do you go to find meaning right now? Do you look for that in your job? Do you feel better about yourself when you meet targets and other people look at you as a success? Or let's think of it this way. What do you run to when you just want to feel good in general? Is it a pastime or a hobby? Is it some habit or an addiction? You know, some activities are inherently wrong or inherently bad, but other things are not bad in and of themselves. For example, it is a good thing to work hard at your job. There's nothing wrong with setting big goals and doing your best to achieve them. However, the moment those good things become more important than knowing Christ, those things become not only worthless, they're repulsive because they're pulling you away from the most important thing in life. You know, Paul was laser-focused about this. I'll read just two more verses in this passage. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul was single-minded. He knew there was nothing more important than his relationship with Christ. That relationship gave him the hope that he would someday rise from the dead and spend eternity with God. And that promise of the future gave him joy here in the present. No matter how much he had to suffer, it was okay because God was ultimately working everything together for good. So what do we do with this passage? How do we make this practical? You know, it would be easy to walk away feeling guilty because we all get so distracted. We all do such a poor job of keeping Jesus at the center of our lives. And that guilt might lead us to say, okay, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. But that's not really helpful. That's going back to the mindset where you try to earn God's approval through your own effort. And that's not what it's about. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about making the decision every day to stay close to Him. It's about letting Him change us into who He wants us to be. And with that goal in mind, 
I have a very practical exercise for you today. You can pull out a piece of paper and write down these four symbols, plus, minus, greater than, and less than. If you have a journal, you can write this in your journal. And here's what you do. You go through each of these four categories and you write out several steps that will help you draw closer to Jesus. First, let's look at that plus symbol. What do you need to add into your life to be more focused on Christ? Now, if you've never made a clear decision to begin a relationship with Jesus, that's what you add. You turn away from your old life, you put your faith in Jesus, you get baptized, and you start living this new life. You become a new creation. And if you want to make that decision, please let us know. We'd love to help you through that process. You could reach out by going to plumcreek.org connect. But whoever you are, be specific to your situation. What is it that you need to add? And then let's look at the minus. What do you need to subtract or remove from your life? Maybe it's a bad habit or a pattern of sin. Or you might think of a specific name. Maybe it's a friend who drags you down and pulls you away from Jesus. Whatever you need to distract is something that is robbing you of the joy that God wants you to have. Next, we have the greater than symbol. What is it that you need to increase in your life? Maybe it's connecting with God one-on-one, -on -one, spending time in His Word and time in prayer. Finally, there's the less than symbol. What do you need to decrease? This could be something that you don't need to eliminate altogether. You just need to dial it down. You don't have to throw out your TV. You don't have to throw out your golf clubs. You just need to clear some space in your life so you can put Jesus at the center. So add, subtract, increase, decrease. I really hope you follow through and complete this exercise. In fact, I hope you do it today. And I want to help you with two of these areas, the plus sign and the greater than sign. I have a suggestion for you. Actually, it's more than a suggestion. It's a plan for what our church will be doing this fall. If you're a part of the Plum Creek family, I am praying that you will participate in this plan. I have a strong urgency about this because I know that some of you have felt disconnected over the past few months. You feel a distance between you and your church family. You may even feel a distance between you and God. During this time of the coronavirus, I've been very concerned about this. The coronavirus has caused distance and isolation for many of us. With some of our church family, I haven't seen you since March. And over time, that takes a toll, doesn't it? Here recently, I've been thinking about it this way. Back in college, I had a bunch of good friends that I saw just about every day. That was especially true of the other guys in my dorm. And during my college years, I became pretty close to these friends. But after graduation, you know what happened? We all moved to different parts of the country and we no longer saw each other every day. And for a while, we stayed in touch pretty consistently. We even found ways to meet up now and then. But as the years went by, it was tougher to maintain those friendships because of the geographical distance. We weren't doing life together anymore simply because we weren't in close proximity. So let's apply that principle to our spiritual lives. If there's a distance between you and the local church that you've chosen to be a part of, that will be detrimental to your spiritual health. 
The community of the church is where we find encouragement and support and reminders of the truth that we find in God's Word. It's where we sharpen each other, just like iron sharpens iron. So do you see where I'm going with this? A disconnection from church can lead to a distance between you and God. This is a growing concern of mine. So with all of that in mind, we're going to be proactive this fall at Plum Creek. We're starting something called the Strong Challenge. Other churches have done this in the past, and I believe this challenge is perfect for the time that we're living in. I'll explain the big idea. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. So let's be real here. If you feel spiritually weak right now, you can't just snap your fingers and become strong. So how do we accomplish this? Well, what does Paul say? He says, be strong in the Lord, in His mighty power. It's just like Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. If you want true joy, stay close to Jesus. And if you want spiritual strength, stay close to Jesus. So here's the plan. The Strong Challenge takes place over a period of 10 weeks, from early September through mid-November. The first five weeks are about building spiritual muscle. And we'll take that time to focus on Jesus, which is the most important thing we can do in life. In the second half of the challenge, we'll take that strength that God gives us to reach out to our neighbors and share the love of Jesus. So how do you accept the strong challenge? Well, it's pretty simple. You agree to take three steps every week. Step one, you attend the weekend service, either online or in person. And since you're watching today, you've already got that covered. In step two, you will meet with your huddle. I'll explain that in a second. Finally, in step three, you complete five challenge cards. Now, that first step is pretty self-explanatory, but I need to explain what happens with the other two steps. I'll start with the challenge cards. In the very near future, if you're a part of Plum Creek, you will get a deck of cards. And every week during the Strong Challenge, there will be five cards that correspond with that week's message. So every day, you pull out a card and you complete that particular challenge. The card will take you to scripture or to prayer or to some simple action step. And these challenges won't be very time consuming. They'll take about 15 minutes, sometimes less. So the next question is, how do I get a deck of these cards? Well, right now, we're putting together a strong packet for every adult connected to Plum Creek. You'll have the chance to get your packet here at church but if you're not able to do that, we will come and deliver it to you personally. Now we're talking hundreds and hundreds of deliveries here. So we're gonna need some help with that. Now, I also mentioned huddle groups. What's that about? Well, normally, this is the time of year at Plum Creek when we kick off our life groups. But we all know this year is a little complicated. So we're taking a different approach. And we're going to be as flexible as possible because we want to include as many people as possible. And here's what that looks like. You just find a group of friends who have also accepted this challenge and you get together once a week. Some of you were in one of our small groups of three to four this summer. And a group like that would be great for the strong challenge. In some cases, though, you might be able to do something that's similar to what our life groups were like last year. You can do whatever works for you, 
Although I will say the ideal size of a huddle would probably be around six people. But I encourage you to be flexible here. Be creative. Uh, your huddle might meet inside a home, but you could also meet in a driveway or a patio or online in a Zoom meeting. Just make it a priority to be in a huddle because community is more important than ever right now. This is a critical part of the strong challenge. And you know, strength training is always more fun and more effective when you have partners who encourage you and hold your feet to the fire. If you already know who you'd like to have in your huddle, go ahead and start making plans. If you're not sure how to find a group, let us know and we'll get you connected. In fact, I'll go ahead and tell you how to get started with the strong challenge. No matter who you are, I encourage you to go to a special page on our website, plumcreek.org strong. You'll get an overview of what I'm sharing here, and you can also sign up to participate. There's a form on this page where you can check off three different boxes. Number one, I'm interested in joining a huddle. The second box says, I'm interested in leading a huddle. And just so you know, the role of a huddle leader is not difficult at all. It's not what life group leaders have done in the past. You don't have to be a Bible expert. You just get your group together and then you facilitate a discussion once a week. Every huddle leader will have a guide that is very simple to follow. The third box you can check off says, I'm willing to deliver those strong packets. And we're gonna have about 600 of these packets. So the more drivers we have, the easier this task will be. And this is a small way to make a big difference. So that's the big idea. I am praying for hundreds of people to accept this challenge. This is open to every adult here at Plum Creek. But even if you're not a part of our church, you can still take this journey with us. You may be in another state or even another country. That's okay. You're still invited to join us. So let me give you a timeline of how everything rolls out. First, on Sunday, August 30th, you can pick up your strong packet here at church. That's next weekend. We'll have these packets available on Sunday morning at our on-site service, but you can also get one at our drive-in worship service on Sunday night at six o'clock. And I know for many of you right now, attending a drive-in service is easier than coming to the building on Sunday morning. So I hope to see a lot of you here. Now, if you don't get a strong packet on August 30th, we'll make those deliveries over the next seven days. And we'll do our best to get you a packet. But if you have not received one by September 6th, let us know and we'll hook you up. Now, on September 6th, which is a Sunday, we'll kick off the strong series and we'll give everybody one last opportunity to accept the challenge. And then on September 13th, the strong challenge officially begins and a whole list of exciting things will be happening that day, starting with the Sunday morning in-person service. First, we plan to have the worship team back on stage, leading us live and in person. Second, we plan to have kids ministry back on site for the first time since March. And this will be for toddlers up through fifth grade. Now we wanna be wise and safe about taking this step. And our kids ministry team has put together a great plan that's gonna work very well. 
You'll hear more about this plan in the near future, but I'm excited about this option for families who are ready to come back or families who are ready to come for the first time. September 13th is also a big day for our student ministry because our youth group kickoff happens at 6 p.m. here at Plum Creek. And this is gonna be a great night. The students are having a paint war. I've seen these events before and they are super fun. So this is a great chance for middle school and high school students to invite their friends. And let me just reiterate, with all of these events, we're gonna follow the guidelines. We're going to have a safe environment. Our ministry teams have done a great job putting these plans together. But there's one more thing I need to mention about September 13th. This is when the strong challenge gets real. This is the week when we start completing our challenge cards and we start meeting with our huddles. So we have a little time to prepare, but I want you to be ready for this. That's why it's important that you go to plumcreek.org strong and get the ball rolling. Because at the end of the day, this is more than just going on a fun journey as a church family. This is about getting close to Jesus. It's about opening ourselves to the God who spiritually strengthens us. And from there, he will use us to have a powerful impact on this world. And all along the way, I am convinced that we're going to find a lot of joy in the journey. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you for this reminder that there is no greater joy than knowing Jesus. And Lord, I want to lift up anyone right now who may feel disconnected from the church or from you. And Lord, I pray that uh, that disconnection will be removed and there will be a closeness within our church and with you directly. And Lord, I pray over the next couple months that you will build spiritual strength in us so that we can go out and impact this world for you and for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.